Well, good morning. It's great to be with you, and we continue in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We'll pray first, uh, but I'd love to just share with you a word which happened in our prayer meeting just before this service, when Danny, our drummer, uh, prayed a prayer talking about the fact that we're all longing to get out of lockdown, of course, but that also over the last 12 months, God will have given each one of us unique insights from this time. And his prayer was simply that we would finish this particular season well. So let's pray into that. Lord, we're really grateful that in three weeks' time we'll be gathering here in person. And at the same time, we want to just extract every drop of juice, every lesson that you have for us, from this period of lockdown in the remaining time. And so, Lord, would we come to your word this morning with that in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Simon gave a great talk last week about Paul seeking to know Christ. In the words of Paul, to gain Christ and be found in him. And this too is where our passage begins today. But it also begins with why Paul is seeking Christ so longingly. And that's down to one fact with which Paul begins, that Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christ Jesus took hold of me. We've heard about that in Acts chapter 9. You'll remember Jesus reveals himself to Paul as he's on the way as Saul to Damascus. He falls from his horse. He has an extraordinary encounter with the presence of Jesus Christ, a little bit like Rahel, whom we were hearing from in that extraordinary testimony earlier. And then Ananias comes and lays his hands on Paul and prays for him, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus takes hold of Paul and gives him this calling to go and proclaim the name of Christ to the Gentiles. This was a, a mystery and a wonder which Paul could never forget. It was an experience from which he never recovered. He was a man whose life had been turned upside down. He was a man who had met the great lover of his soul. And he was completely smitten as a result. And if you're a believer, I want to remind you that Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. And if you aren't a believer and you don't know the reassurance of that hold, I want to invite you into that today. What is this hold about? Well, we can gain insights from this 1901 painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Eugene Bernon, who was a believing Swiss artist. Let's have a look at it. Look in this painting at the picture of the prodigal son, like the tree behind him, bending away from the father in guilt and shame, and then the father's strong, containing embrace, his committed hold of his son. When Jesus takes hold of us, we are embraced by the love of the Father. We find our home in him. We're declared not guilty and thus righteous. 
Our salvation is assured. This is the love that will not let us go. And we hear of it again in the old hymn, "'Tis not that I did choose thee. My heart owns none before thee, for thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. Maybe that hold came slowly for you. Maybe your conversion into the Christian faith was a gentle and gradual one. Or maybe it was a sudden seizing, a bit like my personal testimony, where the the hound of heaven took hold of me. Whatever. This is what the Puritans spoke of as union with Jesus Christ. It's achieved. It's complete. It's eternal. It's a hold that will never loosen. If you've been feeling distant from God in this lockdown, I want to say to you this morning, you are still held. But this hold of Christ upon us is not all that there is of the Christian life. And our passage doesn't linger there for long. Because besides union with Jesus Christ, Paul wants to invite us into communion with him. He says, I want to know Christ. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. For Paul, knowing Jesus is the ongoing stuff of our Christian life are pressing into greater intimacy with him, just as Rahil talked about earlier, are becoming more like Jesus. And this, of course, is the work of God perfecting us. It's not us perfecting ourselves. But we join in with it. We have a role in this. And this is what Paul is now going to talk about here, about what it is to seek to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're called heavenward. We're called to grow upwards into the likeness of Christ and into the calling that God has for us in heaven. And for this to happen, Paul says this, one thing I do. One thing I do. The 19th century Danish philosopher Kierkegaard wrote, purity of heart is to will one thing. It's to have a roused will focused on one thing. Paul has had an encounter with the love of Jesus and there's no going back for him. He remains fixed on Jesus' face. He wants, he says, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Well, that's quite a mouthful. What does it mean? It means essentially dying to sin so that we can walk in newness of life. It's the receiving of the Holy Spirit to apply the redemption that Jesus has won for us on the cross to our lives, inwardly, in our hearts, in a transformation. Because without that, frankly, this is all just empty religion. Resurrection power 
will come fully into play at Christ's return, and we'll hear about that a little later. But it's also resurrection power for our lives now. It's available to each one of us who hunger and who thirst. Paul is telling us that the heart of the Christian life is to be drawn by the flame of Christ's love. I remember when I was a theatre director attending an acting workshop where a uh, very passionate Italian director was tutoring actors in how to represent love on stage. And he gave them a little acting exercise. They had to imagine that they were standing at the end of a pier looking out to sea and their beloved was departing on a ship. And the exercise was simply to wave to the beloved and to continue waving until the boat gradually disappeared out of the harbour. And as these actors waved and as their hand finally fell because their beloved no longer was with them, I just remember the sense in a good actor of their, their heart literally bursting out of their chest. It was a glorious thing to see. And then they did another exercise where the beloved now returned across the sea. And the finest actors you saw, they were just caught up and consumed by this great love. That's what Paul is really talking about here. Because the knowing of Christ that he's speaking of is, is nothing academic. It's the knowing of a lover. The 20th century theologian von Balthasar said, lovers are the ones who know most about God. The theologian must listen to them. Christ reveals himself to each one of us and this revelation then has kind of magnetic power and it draws out our desire, our longing and our love. Paul is telling the Philippians, don't quench the fire of your love. Don't forsake your first love. I love a story which comes from the desert fathers, the monks who went out to the desert in the first centuries of the early church. And in this story, a, a young monk, Abba Lot, comes to his senior, Abba Joseph, and he says to him, Abba, father, as far as I can, I fast a little, I pray and meditate, I live in peace as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. Again, a little bit like Rahel earlier. And then he says, what else can I do? And the account says, the old man stood up and stretched his hands towards heaven and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said to the younger monk, if you will, you can become all flame. If you will, you can become all flame. This is what Paul is encouraging us into, to respond to the, the single-minded, focused love of Jesus with a single-minded love of our own and to become all flame. And for him, this unceasing hunger after Jesus is what he calls maturity, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And now he's going to go on and he's going to describe four practical marks of maturity. 
very, very helpfully for those who seek to be lovers of Christ and to grow in their faith. Let's have a look at these four marks. The first one is honestly recognise that you've not yet arrived at your goal. Paul says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, to have taken hold of the resurrection power of Jesus. This is Paul, the great apostle, the epic church planter, the bringer of the gospel to the Gentiles, the man who's chained to a Roman guard at this very moment. And he's saying, there's more. I'm not the finished article. There is a long way still to go. Paul, who's been caught up into the third heaven, is here saying humbly before Jesus that he's still missing out on the full riches that Jesus has won for him. This is where we start. We name the reality of our spiritual lives and we admit there is more. I haven't yet arrived. I haven't yet experienced all that I might. And this mix of humility and hunger, it's, it's so attractive. We had a fantastic Tuesday evening this week at Saints Alive, the course that Christopher Landau and Simon Ponsonby are running, where I had the opportunity to be in a small group with a group of mature Christian saints in their 50s, 60s and 70s, all people who were still hungering, still answering yes when we asked them the question, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? They knew that there was more. Secondly, Paul says we need to forget what is behind and press onwards. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul encourage us to forget what is behind? Well, Rahil was talking earlier about being in the present, in the presence of Jesus. And it's really hard to be in the present if we're still facing to the past. Past mistakes, past failures can paralyze us. Think of how Paul's persecution of Christians, his uh, guarding of the clothes of those who were stoning Stephen, might have really preyed on his mind and consumed him. We can remain chained to past disappointment or regret. But past victories are just as dangerous in the Christian life. We can plateau. Think of those who become preoccupied with their achievements, who see their lives as trophies of their own making. Paul is not having any of that. The only trophies in his mind are us, God's people, the trophies of God's grace. So Paul says, don't Rest on past achievements and don't remain mired in past failures. Keep moving on, pressing on, seeking for more ahead of you. Because the greatest dangers in the Christian life are losing focus or stalling. And if that's you this morning, I really encourage you in the days ahead to find a trusted brother or sister and just confide in that person and say, 
my prayer life feels rubbish at the moment, or I've got stuck and I don't know how to get moving again. And now Paul condenses this posture of seeking in one of two great word pictures that he's going to use in this passage to encourage us. This painting that you're going to see from 1898 is titled The Disciples Peter and John Running to the Sepulchre on the Morning of the Resurrection. And it's by the same artist, Eugène Bernon, that we saw earlier. Look at that forward tilt in the run of the two disciples. The word Paul uses in the text here is straining towards what is ahead. It's the word used of a racer going hard for the finish line, like these two men look like they're doing here, utterly focused on the goal that lies ahead. Perhaps as you watch this service this morning, you're actually leaning back on your sofa. Maybe you're not in your running kit. Maybe you're still in your pyjamas. It doesn't matter. It's about the inward tilt of your heart. Paul was chained to a Roman guard under house arrest, and yet he's talking about running and seeking more. And this isn't about whipping ourselves up into some kind of self-effort and straining, spiritually straining. It should just be the natural disposition of the beloved who longs after the lover of their soul. To be caught up in the desire of the person we love and to know them at the deepest level. The Colombian novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez said about his 30-year relationship with his wife Mercedes, I know her so well now that I have not the slightest idea who she really is. And what he's saying is, is that any person is a mystery. There's always more to know. And how true that is of Jesus Christ above all. Thirdly, Paul says to us, imitate the saints. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul's modest enough to recognise that there is more of Jesus for him to know, and at the same time, he's honest enough to admit that he's not a bad spiritual example to follow. And look at how his focus is widening out here. He's now talking not about just our individual pursuit of Jesus, but about how we're sustained in that by other people. Because spiritual thirst always comes alive in community. And it's perpetuated together in community. Paul says, if you want to see what Jesus looks like, look at those who participate in him in the most dramatic way. Because when a person conforms to Jesus, then Jesus appears in our midst. And we need people who are living lives of beauty, who are caught up in the radiance of Christ. Maybe in the Protestant church, we don't lay enough emphasis on, on, on what the Catholic church would call the saints. And of course, there are living saints in our community here at St. Aldate's those whom we can study and imitate and be encouraged by. Because without such people around us, the concern of Paul is that we will become enemies of the cross of Christ. We'll become Christians in name only, focused on our individual appetites 
individualists, consumerists. When we focus on the example of saintly Christians, we're less likely to live rooted in selfish desire or with a casual ethic of grace that we can kind of do whatever we like because we're still covered by the grace of God. And then finally, the fourth and final mark of maturity in this hungering for more, Paul says, live together as a colony of heaven, as an outpost of heaven. He says of the enemies of the cross of Christ, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Well, that's another extraordinary word picture. And what might citizenship in heaven look like? Let's have a look at a painting here. This is called Christ Glorified in the Court of Heaven. It's a painting that hangs in the National Gallery in London, probably by an artist called Fra Angelico. And it shows Christ ascended, worshipped, glorified. And scripture, of course, tells us that we're seated with him in heavenly places. But Paul's also talking about how we should live meanwhile here on earth. This whole passage has been about holding, Christ's holding of us, our seeking to take hold of him, and now on Jesus holding us together as one body, caught up in a shared adventure of love. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5, God's ambassadors, living out the values of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Well, that may seem like a tough call. We've not been together, many of us, for almost 12 months. Maybe you're feeling deeply frustrated this morning. You may even be wondering about your faith and, and whether you belong and where you belong. Well, Paul says to you today, you have been granted honourable citizenship of the kingdom of heaven with instant access to the Father, sharing in heaven's honours, set in the company of worshipping angels with your name written in the book of life and awaiting the final return of Jesus. This is the glorious picture that awaits us when every earthly desire that we've directed at Jesus Christ, the great lover of our souls, will be fulfilled. And that's when we'll finally cross the finishing line in victory and the celebration that's never going to end will begin. This is the bliss that awaits us and for Paul, the destiny that we're called to live into now. And so as the band come back, let me just summarise that one last time. Jesus Christ has taken hold of us. That's what we call union we run to take hold of the fullness of him. That's our communion with him. And then he holds us together in his body as citizens of heaven awaiting his return. He is returning and he will bring this love story to fruition. And then it really will be a time of universal rejoicing. And we'll be eternally together with Jesus caught up in his glory, pure in heart, and truly, in the words of that desert father, all flame. Let's pray before the band lead us in a song.
Come, Holy Spirit. And I want to offer a prayer for anyone here who doesn't yet feel that they've given their life to Jesus and that they know that hold of him upon them. Here's a prayer that you can pray. Lord Jesus, I want to know this hold. I want to know this embrace. I want to be caught up in this love story. And so now I turn away from the things I've done wrong, the mistakes I've made, and I set my face on you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you have risen and you long to give me resurrection power for a new life. I give my life to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you simply want to hunger more and to press into Jesus this morning, St. Augustine says, Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray for that. We pray for salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee more and more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you. In your precious name. Amen.